welcome to the Progressive HVAC Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Stewart. This is a podcast where we talk about some technical theory, share tales from the job site, even talk to some special guests from within the trade. I'm super glad you're here, and I'm super glad that you're listening. That being said, let's go ahead and get into today's episode, Episode 3, Basics Part 2. Glad you're here. Welcome back. So, on our last episode, we actually covered three methods of heat transfer. Convection, conduction, and radiation. This episode, we're going to dive into the basic refrigeration circuit and the components, states of refrigerant, and lines that attach all of them. These are important to understand as this is literally the basic foundation for all of your future service knowledge. You have to understand these components, the lines that connect them, and the state the refrigerant is in inside of each line. Now, there will probably be some people out there who don't understand certain phrases or terminology, and that's okay. I promise you we are going to go back and we will go over everything that you could possibly not understand. And again, remember, our email is listed in every podcast uh, bio, so feel free to reach out if there's something you want me to talk about in particular or if you didn't understand something. And in addition to that, if you just want to come on and talk on the podcast, I'd be more than happy to have you. Now, let's just go ahead and jump right into this. Um, remember the rules that we talked about in the last episode? They'll play a role in this as well, so I hope you remember them. So the basic H. VAC system has four basic components. These components all have a particular job that they have to do. These components have one job, one job in particular, and as long as all components are doing their job, the system will operate efficiently. If one component fails, the system cannot operate efficiently, and that can either lead to catastrophic failure, uh, premature breakdowns, whatever you want to call it. Either way, it is not good for the system, and it's not good for the customer because the customer is not going to want to have a costly repair. That being said, let's talk about one of the most costly repairs that customers face and the heart of the system. You guessed it, it's the compressor. So, the compressor only has one job, as I said before. It's to create a pressure differential in order to move the refrigerant through the system. A compressor has both a high and a low side, an inlet and an outlet, suction and discharge. I know that might seem like multiple lines, but they are the same thing. So, your inlet to the compressor is your suction side. Your outlet to the compressor is your discharge side. And we'll come back to the lines in a minute but for right now focus on this the compressor takes a low pressure superheated gas or vapor whatever you want to call it and compresses it into a high pressure superheated gas or vapor this is the part of the system that does the most work and is crucial to operation as i said before all components are crucial to operation but we call the compressor the heart of the system for the reason that it pumps the refrigerant through it acts like a heart in a sense compressors come in all shapes and sizes depending on the equipment determined what type of compressor is used. Most common in residential is scroll and reciprocating. We will do a podcast talking about different compressor types in another episode, so if you don't understand what those are, don't worry, we'll go over it. Now, an important thing to note also, compressors are designed to pump vapor only. Liquid and compressors do not get along well. This can lead to premature failure, costly repairs to our customers. This is why proper operation of all components in a system is crucial. Now, let me simplify this even more for you. Think of your compressor as the pressure increaser. 
That's the only thing it does, and that's the only thing it cares about. Now moving on to another component, the condenser. The condenser is what you would see outside on a split system. It's your outdoor unit. Also, a little tidbit, the compressor is located inside of the condenser. And again, that might seem off to you, but I assure you, if you have a central AC system at your house, if you go outside to your outdoor unit, you look down, you will see a compressor. Now, if you had a package unit, the condenser coil is the coil that is exposed and of course has a fan over it. The condenser's job is to remove heat from the system and condense the refrigerant into a sub-cooled liquid. High pressure superheated vapor enters the condenser and high pressure subcooled liquid exits. The refrigerant changes state here. This will occur two times in a properly operating HVAC system. You'll see the other change of state later in this episode as well as in the final recap. The condenser consists of a coil and a fan. That's keeping it simple. Of course there are other bells and whistles that you'll find in the condensing unit or your outdoor unit but we're focusing on just the components itself right now. Nothing electrical, no sensors, nothing like that. So fan and coil. Alright. Now once that superheated vapor enters the condenser we start removing heat from the system by bringing cooler air through the coil and the heat is removed by the air now remember that rule hot goes to cold well this is one of the places where it's taking place but if you're not familiar with this you might be sitting back asking me well jesse it's hot outside how are we removing heat well that goes back to the compressor operating the way that it should in order for the condenser to do its job in order for it to reject heat we have to introduce that refrigerant at a higher temperature than the outside ambient air. That is why the compressor compresses that vapor refrigerant increasing the temperature to where it is above the outside ambient temperature and this allows us to reject the heat into the outside air. This also allows us to change state by condensing down into a subcooled liquid. When pressure increase, temperature increase. The compressor pushes up, especially in a reciprocating, it pushes up, presses that refrigerant, temperature increases, and then it is sent out into our condenser where the condenser sends the high temperature, high pressure vapor through the condenser. Cooler air is brought through. That cool air grabs the heat by coming through the coils, and then it is removed into the outside ambient air and comes out as a subcool. So if we look at the different stages in the condenser, you have desuperheating, condensing, and subcooling. Desuperheating is where we were removing any additional heat that was added after change in state. Condensing is where we're actually starting to condense the vapor refrigerant back into a liquid. This is a change of state occurring in our condenser and others may refer to this as its saturated state. Uh, subcooling is the removal of any additional heat after the change of state has already occurred. So we've already changed ourselves into a liquid and we are still removing heat. This is known as subcooling. With the simple, you can just look at the condenser as I said before as the heat rejector. Okay so next Next up, we actually have the metering device. The metering device's main job is to meter refrigerant that's entering our evaporator. So the way that it does this, depending on its application, is it either uses a TXV or a fixed orifice. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But essentially what it does is it creates a pressure drop. Temperature and pressure have a direct relationship. So we know that if the pressure decreases, temperature decreases. Now when this uh, pressure drop occurs in the metering device, a small amount of this refrigerant turns into flash gas a lot of people will call it. It's typically a 30 to 70% ratio. So 30% vapor, 70% liquid. Continuing on, high pressure subcooled liquid refrigerant enters the metering device. The metering device restricts
restricts the flow of this refrigerant and a low pressure saturated mix exits. That goes back to that percentage ratio I just talked about. Like I said before, the metering device has only one job. And if you wanted to look at it in its simplest form, it's just to restrict flow and make sure that we are not over or underfeeding our evaporator with refrigerant. And just a brief conversation on a thermal expansion valve versus a fixed orifice. A fixed orifice uses no form of mechanical operation to control the flow of refrigerant. It is fixed. It doesn't have anything, we'll say, externally that is telling it what to do. Versus a thermal expansion valve or TXV uses a power head and a sensing bulb to determine the amount of refrigerant needed to feed the evaporator and allow the system to operate efficiently. Alright, so last but not least, we've got our evaporator. Now, look at the evaporator as your heat absorber. This coil is located in your indoor unit of a split system, of course. If it is a package unit, it's all in one. We've already discussed this. A lot of people refer to the evaporator as an A-coil, but keep in mind, there are different coil configurations. The evaporator's main job is to absorb heat from the return air coming from the space. Inside our evaporator, the refrigerant that just exited the metering device comes through, and with the pressure and temperature drop created by the metering device, a small portion of flash gas from refrigerant begins to down. Now, remember, temperature and pressure have a direct relationship, just like we said. So, if one increases, the other does as well, and vice versa. That being said, the refrigerant begins boiling as it absorbs heat from the return air. This is our second change of state. Remember, I said it would do this twice in any HVAC system. The evaporator is mainly liquid, and if you look on most residential systems, the evaporator is fed from the bottom with the liquid refrigerant. As it continues to change state and absorb heat, that vapor rises to the top and when the vapor actually exits our evaporator it is a superheated vapor superheat meaning any heat added after the change of state so keep it simple the evaporator is our heat absorber keep in mind that the evaporator is mainly liquid and the top portion the final few runs of an evaporator is vapor and that's where the superheating phase is actually occurring and keep in mind too we'll break down each one of these components in a really deep detailed session probably at a later date basics we're trying to keep the basics there so just bear with us all right so those are your four main components but don't worry we're not done with this episode yet so obviously we have our four main components but let's talk about lines so refrigerant lines obviously are not wi Wi-Fi or Bluetooth compatible, we can't just transmit refrigerant from one place to the other and any uh, intentional dumping of refrigerant is illegal. Let me keep that in mind for you guys who uh, went and took your EPA 608 exam. You should know all about that by now. Alright, so the most common way of connecting these components is through a method known as brazing. Though there are a few alternative ways nowadays such as zoom lock and other compression fittings. Milwaukee, Rigid, and zoom lock all manufacture a compression tool rated for refrigerant fittings and pressures. Personally I'm interested in this technology and these fittings but I have not had the chance to use them in the field. These could be incredibly useful in plants and hospitals as well as other facilities that require a fire watch or extensive paperwork or even planned shutdowns or working after hours. But back to the common form, brazing. Brazing uses a set of torches equipped with oxygen and acetylene. This torch set is used to heat up a brazing rod which typically consists of copper, nickel, and silver as well as a few other materials to join two copper pipes together. There are important practices to be implemented when brazing but that's for another episode. So focus on this for now. So when we braze the lines, we clean the copper, dry fit the pipe, use a flux material to ensure a clean braze, and then we braze the pipe shut. Some rods come with a flux material inside of the rod, so be sure you check what kind of rod you're using 
certain rods are required for dissimilar metals. So now that's how we connect the lines, but let's talk about the lines themselves. The lines that are connecting all the components have names and different, the refrigerant is in different states in each line. Names are as follow, discharge, liquid, expansion, and suction. Each component has a pressure and state of refrigerant. We're going to go ahead and break that down. Your discharge line exits your compressor and is also known to some as the damn hot line. You'll find out why if you ever touch it when the system is running. This is not recommended. It is damn hot. Do not touch it. This line exits the compressor and enters our condenser. This line has high temperature, high pressure, superheated vapor in it. Next up comes our liquid line. Our liquid line comes after our condenser. This line is typically warm to touch but will not burn you. This line consists of high pressure subcooled liquid. Again, super original with our names in this industry. Next up is our expansion line. Now no one really talks about this because it's not something we typically replace or install and a lot of people just kind of throw it off their wayside. But the expansion line is actually the small piece of copper that exits the metering device and enters the evaporator. This is your expansion line. This line consists of the saturated refrigerant that consists of that 30% vapor, 70% liquid liquid entering our evaporator. Now last but not least we have our suction line. This is the line exiting the evaporator and entering the suction side of our compressor. This line carries low pressure, low temperature superheated vapor and this line is typically cold to the touch and sweating if not insulated. Visual representation of uh, a few of these lines are as follows. Uh, if you found yourself replacing a split system or installing one for the first time, the smaller line will be your liquid line. The larger line will be your suction line. If you look on the compressor, same thing. The larger line is your suction line and the smaller line will be your discharge. Now, let's break this down even more. Let's, like, uh, let's try and make this a little more simple. So, you can break down the system into a high and low side. Your high side would consist of the discharge line side of your compressor all the way to the inlet of your metering device which is the liquid line entering the metering device from there all the way to the discharge of the compressor is considered your high side the low side would consist of the outlet or the expansion line coming from the metering device to the suction side of your compressor the compressor and the metering device are the only two components that have a high and low side in the refrigeration circuit so that being said that's all the components that's all the lines tied together even how to attach and the state of refrigerant inside them in addition to all of this the system split up into a high and low side. Now two of the most common measurements that we use as HVAC technicians on our refrigeration side is superheat and subcooling. Now there are variables as to what type of superheat you are measuring but for now I just want you to focus on the general term superheat and subcooling. Let me add this in here for you. Superheat is any heat added after the change of state and depending on who you ask everyone has a different definition. The way it always stuck with me was any heat added after after the change in state. That was always simplest and easiest for me to understand. If you ask someone else, they would say it's when you heat vapor above its boiling point. Now, that's fine. I mean, that's an acceptable answer. That's correct. But again, the way that I've learned and the way that I teach is any heat added after a change in state. Subcooling is the exact opposite. It's any heat removed after a change in state. They'll say it's any heat removed after its condensing point. So any heat removed after it has been condensed down into a liquid. And again, perfectly fine, perfectly acceptable 
acceptable answer. I just prefer the method that I've learned and the method that I teach. It's easier, it's simple, and I get a lot more people who come from outside the trade that want to learn. I can get this across to them easier than saying it the other way. Not sure why, but it's just what works and it's what I've been sticking with for all these years. Let's finish this episode off with a complete, we'll call it a build. So we are going to start with our compressor. We have our compressor. We have our discharge line. Our discharge line exits the compressor. This line consists of high temperature, high pressure, superheated vapor. From there, this refrigerant enters our condenser. Our condenser's job is to remove the heat and condense the refrigerant back down into a liquid. So we enter our condenser. We are at a higher temperature than the outdoor ambient, so therefore the air that is being brought in through the condenser and up out the top cooler than what the refrigerant is, that heat is removed via the air through the top and placed in a space where it does not matter. Change of state occurring and once that occurs we become a liquid. But once we become a liquid we are still rejecting some heat so this this is our subcooled liquid. Any heat removed after the change in state. Okay moving on from that we exit our condenser via the liquid line which is where we consist of a high pressure medium temperature subcooled liquid. This line then proceeds to go through the metering device or the metering device creates a pressure drop. This pressure drop we enter as the high pressure subcooled liquid. We exit as a saturated mix, typically 30% vapor, 70% liquid. From there we travel through our expansion line into our evaporator, which again, very small line and a lot of people don't pay attention to it. We go into our evaporator, the heat hitting the coil, which is warmer than the refrigerant thanks to the pressure drop from the metering device, begins to boil our refrigerant off. As we are boiling off refrigerant, we are absorbing heat. As that boiled refrigerant evaporates, it starts to go towards the top of the coil where it is still picking up heat. This is our superheating phase. So once we hit the superheating phase, we actually exit the evaporator via our suction line and we are a superheated low pressure, low temperature gas. And then we make our way to the suction side of our compressor and the entire cycle begins again. So that being said guys, this is the basic HVAC circuit, basic components, line sets, and states of refrigerant. I hope that you took something from this and again I apologize if I've left any gaps or if anybody has any questions, but if you do have any questions, I encourage you to reach out to me at progressive.hvac.podcast at gmail.com and if you would prefer Twitter, we also have a progressive HVAC Twitter and a progressive HVAC Facebook page. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or if you would like to be featured in an episode or have a topic that you'd like for me to discuss, feel free to reach out to me there, and I look forward to hearing from you. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope y'all have a good day. That being said, guys, we will see you on the next one.